Man, I'm so pumped that you're with us today. And uh, if we haven't met, my name is Mark. I get the opportunity of serving as the young adult pastor here at the exchange. And I know many people uh, came by for the first time. We had a Friendsgiving last week, and it was absolutely amazing. I want to welcome all of those that are joining for the first time. Maybe you came last week and you're like, what is this? Well, I'm glad that you made it to tonight. Tonight we're kicking off a new series called Run For It. And I'm really pumped about this series. This is a series that I've been really excited and expecting about. Over the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to be taking time uh, looking at two simple verses in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm so excited about this series because for me, this is, this is like a vision series. And not a vision series for the church, but I believe that this is a vision series for your relationship with Jesus. And what I think is so interesting, a lot of churches or a lot of people, uh, they get excited talking about vision in the new year. But for me, I really believe we've got to talk about vision at the end of the year. So we're not going into the new year talking about it and learning about it, but rather executing it. And I believe that this series is going to help us do the, just that. So let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verse 1. The author, the writer to the Hebrews, he says this, Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run. Somebody say run. Run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on who? The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And today I want to speak from this simple idea, running with a purpose. Running with a purpose. A few weeks ago, I had the amazing idea of doing something called a savage race. If you know, you know, maybe you heard of the Spartan Run or Tough Mudder, but the Savage Race is similar to these things. I didn't want to do it alone. I'm, I'm a high extrovert. So I said, I want to do it with people. I want to do it with some People. So I invited some of the team, uh, and some of the team was like, nah, I'm straight. I'm cool. And they took the right route, uh, is what I found out. But for me, I, I'm an optimistic guy. I'm like, yo, guys, let's, let's do this. Savage. Yo, like, this is going to be dope. We're going to have fun. It's going to be a time of connection and fellowship. And after that, we can maybe go get some food to eat. Like, that never happened. But I was just so hyped about this, this idea of doing this savage race. So we had about 10 people from the exchange, some of our leaders and staff show up ready to rock and roll uh, two Saturdays ago. And we show up, and I'm just hyped. And one of the guys look at me, and he's like, you ready? I'm like, well, you don't, you don't have to get ready when you stay ready, boy. Who are you talking to? I'm like, I'm like so full of myself in this moment. You would be so saddened to see your pastor. Anyways, the race is about to start. And how many of you know you can be so hyped until the reality is that you have to run seven and a half miles with 35 plus obstacles. Mind you, your boy has never ran more than six miles in his life, okay? So I, I'm, I'm getting ready, I'm, I'm hyped, and, and we start running. And about a mile into this race, adrenaline, adrenaline leaves me. Reality sets in, and I'm like, I'm ready to quit. I'm ready. I'm like, this is it. We're not going to do this thing. We're just going to take the high road. We're going to head back. And I start asking myself all of these questions like, why, why, am I, why am I here? What is the purpose of this race? Like, why, why did I pay money 
to go through this. Like, like, what type of stupidity is this to climb and throw your body? Like, who does this, bro? And I start having all these questions. I'm struggling with the purpose of this race. And in this moment, I had to start pep-talking myself. I'm, like, talking myself up. I'm like, Mark, you got this. You don't submit to your body. Your body submits to you. <laughs> like reciting scripture, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Start reciting all these things that my dad used to tell me as a kid. Pain is just leaving the body. Pain is weakness leaving the body. I'm like hyping myself up so nasty, but I got to this moment where I had to really get back to the point that there was a reason and a purpose that I had signed up for this thing. There was a reason and a purpose for this race. And on the other side of the race, I would thank my future self for completing the race. And I just feel so burdened to help some of you in the room and remind us that God has not called you to aimlessly walk through this life. God has called you to run a race, and not just run a race, but run a race with purpose. To run a race with purpose. And I think so many of us, we're here in our 20s and our, our 30s, and we're still struggling to find out our purpose. What is my purpose? What was I created for? What was I created to do? But friends, hear me. God has called you to run a race. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12, he sets a race before you. He sets a race before you. This race is purposeful. And I want you to understand, our purpose as followers of Jesus is one simple thing. To make much of Jesus with our life. To make much of Jesus with our life, to point people to the glory of God, to behold Jesus, to cling to him, and to run after him with all of our might. And I heard a preacher say this uh, a couple weeks ago. He said, your life preaches a sermon. What type of sermon is your life preaching? I just wonder, what type of sermon is your life preaching? Are you running after Jesus? Are people seeing you run relentlessly after the person of Christ? And if you don't get anything from this message, I want you to get this one simple thing. If you want to live the life that God has created you to live, you have to run the race that God has set before you. If you want to honor God with this life, you have to run the race that God has set before you. And I'm going to talk about how the race connects to our purpose. But if we're being honest today, so many of us, we, we began to believe that our, our purpose is really centered on our job. Our, our purpose, it's, it's centered on our ability to find financial security. Some of us uh, believe our purpose is, is found in the ability to find the one. To get into the relationship, to, to find the per person or the paycheck or to get the job. And I just want you to hear my heart on this. God has created you for so much more than a paycheck. God has created you for so much more than to get married, to find the right one, to find the guy, to find the girl, to get pregnant, to buy the house, to do all of those things. God has created you for so much more than that. And I want you to know God didn't put breath in your lungs to earn a paycheck. God put breath in your lungs that you might wake up daily ready to run the race that glorifies him. That's why you have breath in your lungs. And when we read this text in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. It says we ought to run that race, that race that gives us purpose, that God has set before us. And I just wonder, I was thinking about this yesterday at my desk. What does it mean to run? Like, like let's just start there. What does it mean to run? What does it mean? Can anybody, anybody tell me? Okay. 
Try again. So it's, it's to run after something, to, to pursue something, to have purposeful movement and emotion towards something. I got a friend on team, her name is Sydney Stolzhus. I love Sydney so much, but if you know anything about Sydney, th this girl can run, okay? How many miles will you like run in an average run, Sid? How long? Six to ten. God bless you. I asked Sid yesterday, like, when you run, what is the objective? And Sydney, she, so smart, so brilliant. She named off a litany of things that are her objectives when she runs. How many of you know, whether you love to run or you don't like to run, you don't just run to run. There is a purpose. There is an objective. There is a point to running. And what I believe to be true in this generation, we don't have a problem making moves, Okay. We're all about making moves. We're all about being busy. See, our problem isn't making moves or being a people that are moving towards something. Our problem is that we're moving towards the wrong things in life. That's our greatest issue, is that we're moving towards things in hopes of finding security, in hopes of finding satisfaction, in hopes of finding approval, in hopes of finding uh, validation, and all of these different things that we can only find in God. Some of us were so caught up moving towards specific things that we're missing out on the very thing that God has for us in this life. Last week, excuse me, not, not last week, a, a couple years ago I was talking to a, a young adult, uh, not from this church, but it was a guy that I ran into. I was like, yo, I, I haven't seen you at the church in a while, man. How you been? And he's like, I'm doing great. I'm like, where you been at though? And he's, he's like, Pastor Mark, I, I've, been, I've been getting after it. I'm like, help me understand. He's like, you know, I've I, I just been getting to it. English, okay? It's like I've been getting after the money. How many of you know, like, whenever someone says that, they're probably doing the exact opposite? I'm like, cool, bro, that's, that's great. Getting after the money, that's awesome. What are you doing? And he didn't want to tell me what he was doing, but you could probably put two and two together. But for me, as I was thinking about that, it's such a reality of how many of us are living our lives. We're so caught up running after things possessions. Some of you are running after people. And you're missing out on the most important person. See, it's so interesting how we can be so consumed running after these things in hopes of finding fulfillment that when we get the thing, we don't feel fulfilled. Can I tell you, maybe you need to stop running after possessions and people and run after the person of Jesus Christ. We, we don't find fulfillment in possessions. We don't find fulfillment in people. We find fulfillment in the thing that God has called us to do, and it's to run the race, to run after him. I just wonder today, my question for you is this. I wrote this down earlier in my journal. Are you running your race or are you running God's race? We got to be honest with ourselves. Somebody, we're just so entrapped by this idea of getting the house, getting the car, getting the job, and we're running hard after all of those different things. And I just wonder today, are you chasing a fantasy and missing out on a legacy? Are you so busy chasing a fantasy and missing out on a legacy? There's a woman by the name of Linda Ellis. She's an author. In 1996, she wrote this book entitled The Dash. She entitled the book The Dash, and the premise behind this book is that at the end of our lives, when we die, on our tombstones, 
there's going to be a beginning date and an end date. The beginning date is the day we were born. The, the end date is the day that we die. But in between those two dates, there's a dash. And I just wonder, what is the story that your dash will tell? What will people remember you as and for at the end of your life? And I believe that the call of God on each and every one of us as followers of Jesus is that the dash would tell a story of how we faithfully pursued God and the things of God. How we lived a life of godliness and righteousness and purity and we ran hard after God. That other people looked at us and I said, I want what he has on his life. That's the story. That's the, that's the story that our dash should tell. But what if you're chasing after something else that's going to lead people to forget your dash? To forget that you ever lived this life? See, so many of us, we would actually fall into that category because we're pursuing things that are purposeless and pointless. And this isn't a, a heavy message of conviction. This is me sharing truth with you from God's word. I think about this moment in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Where Paul, he's at the end of his life, and he looks at his, his son in the faith, Timothy, and he starts telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, I want you to know I've ran the race. I have fought the good fight, and I want you to do the same thing. But Timothy, you got to be aware. you got to understand that you aren't called to run after the things of the world. You're not called to run after the approval of man. You're not called to run after possessions or things or other people. You are called, Timothy, to run after the person of Jesus Christ. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, this is what Paul says to Timothy. It says this in that passage. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all these things, meaning the things of the world, the temporary successes, the riches, the wealth, the approval of others. Flee from these things and pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love and endurance and gentleness. But fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What I love about this is that Paul says to Timothy, but you man of God, you man of God. I just want to kind of preach it how I feel it and how I read this. I want to speak to the men in the room today. You man of God, what are you chasing? Are you chasing a fantasy? Or are you chasing a legacy? What are you running after? Are you running your race or are you running the race that God has called you to live? I just need you to understand, the world does not need in this day and age men who are running their race. They need a man who's running God's race. The world today doesn't need men that are chasing a fantasy. They need men that are going to live and live a life of legacy. What are you chasing? What race are you running? And I just think in this day and age, we have so many guys, so many men that are running to the altar to lead a woman when they can't even lead themselves. The thing about it is, is the motivation for marriage is in the wrong place. I, I want to find fulfillment. I want to find satisfaction. Can I just tell you today? 
you won't find it. You won't find it in a woman. See, marriage, the concept of marriage, it's not about completion. It's about complementing one another. And I just need us to get a better theology of marriage. Marriage isn't about us running our race. It's about running the race. And marriage in Ephesians 5 is all about pointing people to the hope of the gospel. That a man and a woman would die to themselves and come together to be one, to run after God. You got to change your theology and your idea and motivation on marriage. We need to wake up, men. We need to wake up, men. We need to get a greater revelation for the life that God has called us to live. This is not about making your name known. This is about making the name of Jesus known. We need a revelation. We need to understand God has called us to run his race. And I'd even say this, both men and women, I think our natural propensity as we mature in our faith and in our relationship with God is to lose sight of the race. See, the race, it's all about making much of Jesus in, with our life. And our propensity is to shift our focus from what does God want to do through me to what does God want to do for me. As we mature in our faith journey, we can never get to a place where it's all about God give me. Rather, it should be God, what is it that you want to do through me? You see, so many of us have this theology of God, and when we get to marriage, we adopt that same theology on marriage. And it's all about what can you do for me, rather what can I do to serve you? What can I do to honor you? What can I do to bless you? What can I do to help you? And so many of us in our 20s, before we can even get to the altar, our marriage has already ended. we got to understand the race that God has called us to. It's not about making my name known. This is about the glory of God and pointing people to Jesus. It's about pointing people to Jesus. You see, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul would also say this to Timothy. He says, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also all those who have longed for his appearing. See, Paul, again, he's speaking to Timothy at the end of his life. He's saying, Timothy, I've ran the race. And just run it. I completed the race. And I did what God told me to do. You see, his race was all about pointing people to Jesus. Our race should be all about pointing people to Jesus. And Paul did just that with his life. And I know if you've read the Bible, you see the, the figure or the person of Paul show up all throughout the New Testament. You hear about the life of Paul. This man wrote over half the New Testament. So automatically you think, okay, of course he ran the race. Of course he ran the race. Like his job was to point people to Jesus. He was, a, he was a pastor. He was an apostle. He was a church leader. Of course he ran the race. And so many of us, we hear about the life that Paul lived, the fact that he ran this race and pointed many people to Jesus. But you stop at the fact of, but my job is not to be a pastor. But, but my job is not to be a church leader. See, what's so interesting about this is, and people don't talk about this enough, Paul had a nine to five just like you. Paul, for a living to make money, he was a tent maker. But as he did all of his work, he did it for the glory of God. What excuse are you hiding behind? We can't sit back and go, I have a nine to five, you know, 
I'm busy with work. I, I don't have capacity. I, I don't have the, the time. I, I don't have the bandwidth to use a Gen Z term. I, I can't uphold those, those commitments. Friends, serving God, glorifying God, pointing people to Jesus, this isn't a commitment. This is a commandment. This is your obligation, child of God. You need to wake up and realize God isn't saying should you or would you or could you. He's saying you need to. You need to. And we need to wake up. And we need to start stepping into the game. We need to wake up, men, and realize for this house, we will serve the Lord. That doesn't start when you're married. That starts today. That starts today. We got to wake up and realize this is the call of God on our life. Can't hide behind the excuse, I don't have capacity or bandwidth. Friend, I just want you to know, God wants you to run the race in your workplace. God wants you to run the race in the coffee shop, in your classroom, in the community, when you go back home and you're dealing with your mom and your dad that don't yet know Jesus. God wants to use you to run the race in that space. Why? To point them to Jesus. We can't sit back. We, we can't be passive. We can't keep on writing this off and saying, this isn't for me in this season of my life. This is for you in this season of your life. And I don't want to just preach to you and preach at you. I want to help you understand what this looks like in our life. So I want to be practical here, and I want you to get this. See, when the writer in Hebrews chapter 12 says, if we're going to run the race, he uses a specific phrase in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, don't want you to miss this. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. See, if we want to run the race, I want you to get this. This is point number one. If we want to run the race that God has called, called us to, we need to look back at those who have gone before us. We need to look back at those who've gone before us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, when the author says this, he starts out that verse with a phrase that we can't miss. He says, therefore... Therefore, and in Bible college, uh, I continuously kept hearing, whenever you read the word therefore in the Bible, you need to see what it is there for. And the way we see what it is there for is by looking at the previous thing that was just stated. And when we read this in this moment, we got to look back to chapter 11. When you look back at Hebrews chapter 11, this whole chapter is called the hall of faith. It's about many men and women that ran after God, that had big faith and ran the race. And they were awarded, rewarded, and crowned victorious for doing the thing that God had called them to do. And let me give you a little context, though. Because in this era, in ancient Greek, um, or in ancient Greece, excuse me, uh, the idea of Olympic Games, it was a prevalent thing. This was a big, big thing. And in this moment, as the author of Hebrews is saying, there is a crowd of witnesses there's a crowd of witnesses. He's actually creating imagery for you and I to see a group of people who have successfully ran the race that God has called them to. And in this moment now, they are seated in an arena or a stadium overlooking us as we run the race. These people, these men and women, they ran the race, they completed the race, they were rewarded for running the race. And now they're looking down on us as we run the race. And what he's saying is, therefore, since we have such a great, huge crowd of witnesses, such a great, huge crowd of people who have ran the race well, let us look at their example. 
And when you read Hebrews chapter 11, all throughout the text, you read of these men and women who had great faith in God. You see, if we want to run the race, friends, we got to learn what it looks like to have great faith and hold on to our faith in Jesus. I think about this moment in, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the writer of Hebrews, he commends Abraham. He says, Abraham, he was a man that was called by God to leave everything behind him that was familiar and comfortable and be obedient to God, which God called him to a new place. And he trusted God. He obeyed God's command. And he went to that new place. I just wonder how many of us in the room today, God is calling us to a new thing, to a new place. But we failed to trust him. Think about not only this moment that we read about with Abraham being called to a new place. I also think about the moment where Abraham was instructed by God to sacrifice his one and only son Isaac on an altar. The Lord speaks to Abraham. He says, I want you to take him to this altar. I want you to sacrifice him. To kill him and dedicate him to me as an offering. And Abraham, what did he do? He obeyed God. He, he took the first step. He grabs his son. He takes him out into the middle of the wilderness. And he places his son on the altar. And his son's looking at him saying, Dad, what are you doing? And saying, son, I'm sorry. I must obey the Lord. And maybe you know the story. But as Abraham goes to draw the knife to sacrifice his son, what shows up? A ram. And it was to be the sacrifice unto the Lord. See, what I'm trying to help you understand is God has called some of you in this season of your life to get uncomfortable, to take a step, to be obedient, to trust God. And for you, it may not make sense. There's a lot of things even in my life till this day, in this moment, that God is telling me to do. But I go, God, this makes no sense. But God says, son... I just want you to take the step. And if you take the step, watch how I come through. God came through for Abraham. What's God telling you to sacrifice? What's God telling you to leave behind? Not only Abraham, I think about Noah. We read about Noah early on in the Bible. God's going to send a flood on all of the earth. And it, this flood was going to be a, a destructive flood. But God tells him, I want you to build me an ark. I, I want you to build me this huge ark. And I want you to house thousands of animals and some of my creation and some of my people on this ark. So what, is, what does Noah do? He builds the ark. I bet you Noah could have said, where are the resources going to come from, God? God, I, I, help me make sense of this. And I just think God is telling some of you to do something big in this moment of your life that's going to point people to Jesus. But friend, the thing that's stopping you from obeying that, God, this doesn't make sense. God, I don't have the resources. God, send me the, send me the people resources first, God. But God says, no, I want you to take the step. Think about Sarah. She's commended in Hebrews chapter 11 because she held on to God's promise that she would have a child. And this woman, nearly 100 years of age, so many people would have given up, but she's accredited in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, for holding on to her faith and believing God for a child, and surely the Lord gave her a child. What are you believing God for? What are you believing God for? What are you calling on God for in your life? 
And I just wonder, are you truly holding on to your faith? Are you truly holding on to your faith? I'll just be vulnerable in this moment. There's so many moments in my life where God's telling me to do something. And I don't have the faith to do it. God says, son, I just want you to trust me. Son, would you trust me? See, that word race in the Greek, it actually means the word agonos. Agonos. This is where we get the word agony from. You see, what's so unique about this is, as we read this text, the author of Hebrews, I believe he uses that word race purposefully. Because what he's trying to help us understand is that the race isn't easy. There's going to be moments where it's difficult for us to trust God, to believe God, to obey God. But we need to be reminded of God's promises. That I am a promise keeper. That friends, in this world you will have trouble, but you can take heart. I have overcome. I'm going to call you to do hard things. Remember two years ago, I felt like God was calling me to do some courageous, courageous things in my life. And I was like, God, I'm not the guy for it. you got to use somebody else. But one of my mentors, he said, Mark, when God tells you to do something that's going to challenge you and feels uncomfortable, say yes. Some of you today, you, you just need to apply that truth to your life. God's telling you to do something that feels foreign. God's telling you to do something that feels uncomfortable or challenging. Can I tell you, God will allow you to walk through seasons of challenge and you will not break, but you surely will bend. And the bending, it's, it's a sign of stretching. The bending, it's a, it's a sign of growing. It's going to allow you to bend, but you will not break. You won't break. We got to hold on to our faith. And when I think about these men and women that are accredited, for their great faith, these were the same men and women that were martyred, killed, persecuted. They didn't have it easy, but they held on to their faith. Friends, can I tell you, if we're going to run the race, we got to hold on to our faith. And it's when we hold on to our faith, we can point people to Jesus. Maybe some of you in the room, let me just pastor you. Maybe you're believing God for healing in your body. Hold on to your faith. Maybe you're believing God for salvation for a family member or a friend. Don't get weary. Hold on to your faith. Maybe you're believing that a sibling would come back to the Lord. Don't get weary. Hold on to your faith. Maybe you've been struggling with an addiction. Don't get weary. Hold on to your faith. But first, we've got to take the step. See, we're going to point people to Jesus. We've got to hold on to our faith. But not only that. We're going to run the race that God has called us to, which means to point people to Jesus. The second thing we need to do is fix our eyes on Jesus. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he starts out this passage by saying, Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. But we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Why do we keep our eyes on Jesus? Because Jesus will give us everything we need to do what he has called us to do. One of the verses that have been speaking to me in my heart and my personal devotion is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It's a promise of God that God, by his divinity and his power and authority, he will give us everything we need to do what he has called us to do. He'll give you everything you need to do 
what he's called you to do in this life. We hold on to Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because it's Jesus and only Jesus that can get us to help and do the things that he's called us to do in this life. You see, I just want to kind of pastor some of you. One of the things that breaks my heart is seeing 450 people walk into a room on a Tuesday and only have a Tuesday night faith. What if we were a people in a generation that actually believed God could do what he said he could do? What if instead of fixing our eyes on our circumstances, we focused on our Savior? How different might our lives be if we actually held on to God's promises that says Jesus is our source, Jesus is our strength, Jesus is our rock, Jesus is our shield, Jesus is our salvation. How different would our lives be? I just want to help you see this picture. Because as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we begin to move towards Jesus. We move towards Jesus, and as we're moving towards Jesus, as you move towards an object, what happens? The object begins to magnify. So many of us today, we need to take a step towards Jesus. Why? So he could be magnified in our life. So that he might be magnified in our life. Friends, we got to break up with the idea that God won't do what he said he would do in my life. Why? He's a promise keeper. And he's done it before. He will do it again. I have a friend, his name is Joshua Alton. And last week he, he shared this message all about spiritual amnesia. And I think some of us in the room today, we got spiritual amnesia. We've forgotten the faithfulness of God in the past. Therefore, we don't trust him any longer in the present. And we surely won't trust him with our future. We've got to break free of spiritual amnesia and believe that God would do what he said he would do. But friends, even if he doesn't, can I tell you, he's still good. Why? Because he's God. He's God. And he didn't send his son Jesus to die on a cross for your circumstances. He sent Jesus to die on a cross for your sin. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. The Apostle Paul says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't thank God for bringing us through situation. We thank God that he freed us from our sin. And that's why we run the race. And as we run that race, we point other people to that simple truth. It's called the gospel, the good news that you and I were dead in our sin. But there's a God in heaven that loves you and I so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross so we could be made free. That's why I run the race. And as I run it, other people... See Jesus. So what is this race? See, the race is running after Jesus. It's making much of Jesus with our lives. It's holding on to our faith. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus and believing that God would do what he said he would do. I was listening to a sermon the other day. 
And it reminded me of this verse in Isaiah 52, verse 7. I just thought, what a timely verse for our ministry, for this gathering. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, Isaiah says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. I want to read that again. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. Let me give you some context. I want to close with this. Matter of fact, stand to your feet. See the prophet Isaiah. He says, how beautiful are the feet on the mountains of those who bring good news. The reason why he says that is because in this day and age, whenever a battle between two nations would take place, there would be a man or a woman. They were called a herald. And their job was to go leave their nation and run to the top of a mountain to watch the battle between these two nations. And in this moment, this is what it would look like in this day and age. This man, he would, he would run to the top of a mountain, and from the top of the mountain, that's exactly what he would see. A sea of people at battle. And the people that were back in his nation, they would wait on the man to come back and bring news about the battle. But the thing that's interesting about this in Isaiah 52, the prophet Isaiah, he says, how beautiful are his feet. I don't want you to miss this. He says, how beautiful are his feet, because whenever that man, that herald, would come back, they would watch for his feet. Because his feet would tell if there was victory or defeat. See, if he was running slow, it would be a sign to the nation that there was defeat. But if he was running fast, there was a sign of victory. And I just wonder, is there are people in the room that are going to run the race, that are going to move their feet, that are going to run after Jesus with quick feet, with swift feet, knowing that there is victory because of Jesus. I just wonder, is there people in the room that have some faith to run the race because Jesus has defeated sin and it's at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow.